Okay, welcome back to the latest United podcast to discuss the 2-2 draw away at Leicester City. But before all the football talk and all the Man United talk, Larry, um, it is our first podcast post-Christmas. So, as usual, Merry Christmas and talk me through your Christmas. What did you eat? Had pasta, had chicken schnitzel. I had Rocky Road, which I, I don't think I've eaten since I was eight years old. And I think my, I'm, I'm surprised my teeth didn't fall out after chewing on it. But yeah, I think I'm still bloated from it, to be honest, Tom. Um, how, how was yours? Yeah, very good, very good. Well, yeah, as you say, I'm obviously married to a... My wife is Greek, so we do have a Greek family. And yes, as you can imagine, um, they do feed their people well. So um, I'll, current, I'll probably... That was on the 25th of December. I'll probably start eating again, maybe first week, second week of January, I think. But um, Yeah, sounds reasonable. Santa Claus, good to you? Good enough, yeah. I can't really complain. I got I got chili oil, and I think that that's the greatest thing in the. For anyone who doesn't like chili, I, I gotta say you're missing out on life. Like I just I think it's fantastic, chili oil, and I just got home a Simpson socks actually, so I'm pretty happy. Well, so, well, socks and undies. That, that's what always on my Christmas list now. Those socks and undies, and look, you cast your mind back to when you're a kid. Probably the worst present you can get: socks and undies, or a link set, or something. But now at my age. Getting socks and undies, that's not winning the lotto. That, that, it's almost better than a PlayStation 5. But obviously, that is still on my list, but I was extremely happy with my socks and undies. But we will move on to much more important news. And a big game for United, the 2-2 draw away at Leicester City. An interesting one, plenty of talking points. And we're just going to wing this podcast a little bit. We'll try and stick to some sort of structure, but I think we'll just discuss whatever comes up because not too much well it was a sort of action-packed game there weren't too many actual talking points so it was pretty straightforward I think it was a fair result I don't think anyone can complain about that so um, we'll just start with team selection like we usually do um, what sort of raised your eyebrows with this team selection no Cavani in the starting lineup for sure uh, considering his plaudits midweek in what he did against Everton of course you're thinking he's going to start but he didn't um but you got to say, I mean, it was pretty straightforward. I have to say, Tom, I didn't like the midfielder. Because I know we don't talk about him much or he's not, you know, one of the big names when you think of the Premier League. But Tielmans, or Tielmans, however you say his name for Leicester, um, he's fantastic. He, he's, he's such a good midfielder. And what uh, Leicester have really, what, they, what the strongest part of their team is their midfield between Madison, Tielmans and, and Didi. It's, it's a strong lineup. Um I have to say, the midfield of Fred and McTominay, I did worry about how would we really get the ball to those forward players? Because Leicester do have a high press, which obviously we did see throughout the match. Well, in that point, you know, in regards to Leicester's midfield, and I go back to saying, and a lot of people sort of disagreed with me, but I go back to saying I'll definitely take a point at the start of this game. Now, obviously very frustrated that we had the lead twice and we had chances to win it, of course. But I'm still of the opinion this is a very good point. Obviously, assuming we go and beat Wolves and we go and beat Aston Villa, I'm taking this as a very good point away at Leicester. Because one of the things you look at there, you just mentioned those three midfielders and you can compare them to our three midfielders. But could you imagine if we go into the transfer market in two weeks' time and we want to buy either, let's say, a Tillemans, a Ndidi or a James Madison? James Madison's going to cost $100 million. Not that he's worth that, but he would cost Manchester United $100 million. Tillemans, you'd assume, costs us $60 or $70 million. I would assume the same for Wilfred and Didi. They're going to cost 60, 70 million pound. Okay, that's a good midfield. Scott McTominay's not going for 70 million pound. Fred's not going to go for 60 or 70 million pound. So when you look at a midfield like that, and we say, okay, we're Man United, we should be going to Leicester City and beating them. Well, hang on, look what they've got in their in their side. They're a quality football team. 
No, I one hundred percent agree. Um, I have to say that, yeah. Look, w- without going too hard, I was really unimpressed with our midfielders. I think work rate fantastic as always, and Fred and McTominay, that is their strength. It's their work rate, their defensive discipline. Well, you could say the Scotsman was obviously played a part in the lead up to the first goal. Um, but geez, like we, I don't know what was going on, but United kept trying to play out the back, and we we had we saw warning signs early on. And you have to say that once Harry Maguire had that turnaround and then Bruno trying to meg in his own half, it was, it was chaotic. The lead-up to that first goal, I mean, United defensively were actually really good, but it just makes you wonder, if Solskjaer knew he was going to play out the back, wouldn't you think a Nemanja Matic or Paul Pogba, wouldn't you want someone who's actually really comfortable on the ball in that midfield? I just thought that that was really strange. Well, when we get on to Fred's performance, I'll definitely bring up Nemanja Matic. There's a few points I want to make there. But just in, in regards to McTominay, yes, we, we look at the goal. Definitely he's looked at... I think there's a few people at fault for that first goal, but especially I think McTominay, if you're going to put a percentage, he's mostly at fault for that goal. He needs to get out. He needs to put a bit more pressure on the shot. He makes it quite easy for the... Um, I think it's Harvey Barnes to pick where he wants to put it. But you, you say that and you say, oh, you're not impressed with our midfield, the way it lined up in terms of, OK, you got Fred and McTominay, but we sit here two... And I agree, but we sit here two weeks ago and we say, oh, it was the perfect combination against Leeds. Now, obviously, different games have different needs. But I think the difference is, you see Fred and McTominay here. They played next to each other. They played in a 4-2-3-1. Where against Leeds, they lined up like that. But McTominay's intent was to go forward and score goals. Now, none more so than when he scored two goals in the first three minutes. But you could see that intent throughout the game. Where Fred was sitting and McTominay was joining Bruno where he was a definite difference where McTominay was simply sitting with Fred and without that licence to go forward. Do you think that comes down to Solskjaer and it's different instruction for this game? Or do you think that is McTominay thinking, hang on, almost looking at those price tags, thinking, geez, I'm a £30 million player, I'm up against three £70 million players, I'm just going to sit here and keep it safe? Oh, look, I think it's definitely instruction and you have to look at how the game played out, right? That They... The midfield battle was very cagey, um, and it was probably the part of the game I really enjoyed, if I'm being honest. like There was a point, perhaps in the second half, around that 70th minute mark, where there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of opportunities being created. It was just every time we got the ball, we lost it, and vice versa. The, the work rate from both midfields was excellent, but I'm just I'm at a point now with... And look, I forget, take all the Pogba circus outside the football pitch away for a minute. His own, Pogba's uh, form the last few weeks has been really good. So I don't understand why Pogba isn't starting. Because, look, at the end of the day, yes, our form's been quite good um, the last few weeks, I think is fair to say. And we look at the league table and we're starting to get optimistic and we wonder, look, obviously we don't expect to win the title, but could we put a challenge forward? You need your best players on the pitch to do that. You know, if you're going to mount anything, you need to have your best players on the pitch. And I just don't understand why Pogba particularly, doesn't start this match. We've said it multiple times, Tom. Fred and McTominay are good footballers. Look, clear. it's clear that those were instructions to sit deep to counter the threat of Leicester. Jamie Vardy's greatest threat is getting beyond his man, particularly on the shoulder. But at the end of the day, we're Manchester United, and I don't say that with an arrogant, in an arrogant way, but we've got enough fo- good footballers where you should have a Pogba, even a Van der Beek, Someone with an element of creativity and someone who could receive the ball from deep, particularly if the game plan was to play out the back, considering how shambolic we were and how shaky we were, particularly with Eric Bay, he's not good on the ball. And then on top of that, you had Lindelof playing right back, who's not familiar with that position. 
I just thought it was really strange tactically from Solskjaer. How much do you put down to, and look, we'll have the answer to this question in a few months' time when we see how this sort of fixture period sort of plays out, but how much do you think is, I wouldn't say rotation, because Solskjaer is probably not rotating enough, or depends on what way you view rotating, but we're saying that you should be playing Paul Pogba. Well, there's so many games. Do you think there is an idea where, okay, he will come in for Wolves, he will come in for these games, and it's just, we're just sort of crossing off certain fixtures at the moment where he prefers sort of those two players of Fred and McTominay? I don't think he can take that approach. And, like, while I would normally agree with you, taking into context, this was second versus third. This was an opportunity to go clear second with a game in hand. Look, I take your point to what you said when you opened the podcast. Yes, in the grand scheme of things, this is a good point. But it's a good point if we win the next game against Wolves. It's a good point if we win against Aston Villa. If we don't get those results, we'll look back and look to this result and we'll think that was actually two points dropped, considering we're in a winning position. And look, for all my criticism, we were in a winning position. But you have to say, looking at United's actual performance with the ball, particularly in that second half, I felt there was just a real opportunity to put quality players on the pitch where I just felt Solskjaer didn't really utilise that. He put Pogba on and he played him on the wing, which I thought was quite strange. But we look at individuals there and Solskjaer has come in for a lot of criticism what's new in regards to his team selection. A lot of people saying the team selection cost us the game. And I look, and I can understand the frustration with the team selection because ultimately it does play a huge part in terms of which individuals are going to be on the pitch. But you look at that and they're saying, Solskjaer, if he picked a different team, we would have won. Well, hang on. If Marcus, and I'm, This is not a criticism of Marcus Rashford, but hang on. If Marcus Rashford scores that tap-in of a header, if he scores his one-on-one chance, if Jamie Vardy's shot doesn't deflect off to Anzabi and rolls out for a goal kick and we win the game comfortably, is it still a team selection issue? Well, I just think, how much weight do you put on Solskjaer's shoulders here in terms of his responsibility for not winning this game in terms of the team selection? Because I think it was just two good teams. Well, you can argue about how these two teams perform in, but ultimately, two good teams played a very good close game of football, the draw. I thought it was a point, move on. I don't understand the real over-the-top criticism of Solskjaer for this one. No, I'm with you. And my criticism is nitpicking in the grand scheme of things. I'm not highly or hypercritical of what was on the pitch. At the end of the day, like you said, we're we're in a winning position. I think the frustration comes, obviously, when you are in a winning position and the nature in which we conceded the goal late in the piece. It just makes you wonder that with better players on the pitch, do we perhaps put ourselves in a position where the game would have been beyond Leicester for them to mount any sort of comeback? I think it's just it felt like two points dropped when you look at the match, you know, over the full 90 minutes. But look, I, I guess I'm with you. Um, in the grand scheme of things, taking everything into account, the amount of football, we played two ga- a game two days previous. Look, it is a good result, but... And you have to say, even Jamie Vardy's goal, it was going wide, just very um, very unlucky for Tuan Zabi in that respect. But, you know, I get, like I'm with you, I think we just got to move on, but well, we have to win against Wolves, don't we? Otherwise, it's not really a good point. Well, you mentioned it, and look, I agree, but I think Bruno's come out and said the same thing in terms of that he wasn't happy, but he was sort of, the reaction from the team was disappointment. And it, it's obviously, like, while I am saying before the game, I would, would have taken a point. That's not, I definitely am frustrated with not winning it because, we, as I said, we were in a position and our performance, whether it deserved or not, we definitely should have won it on sort of the chances that were created. 
But we'll just go on before we move on to a few other things in the attacking third. I just want to touch on Fred because speaking to a lot of people, and some people had Fred as man of the match, and I think Fred was good. And, and I've been critical of Fred on the podcast before. But I look at it and I just think, and again, different games, different situations, different team selection. But I look at a game like that where Fred was our, I wouldn't say heart and soul, but almost in a heart and soul, in, definitely in that area of the pitch in terms of the way the game played out. And against another good team in Everton and another good midfield in Everton, the way Nemanja Matic controlled the game. And again, different game, different circumstance, I understand that. But I just think the way we played through Fred, I just think I'm so much more comfortable and so much more at ease when we play through Matic that way. I just think a lot of people thought Fred had a good game and it's a valid opinion, I think he was good. However, a lot of the things he does in terms of a pass, we'll see a completed pass, but then the other player will make a mistake. So if he plays a pass out to, let's say... Dan James, and we'll get into Dan James a little bit, he plays a pass out to Dan James. He'll play Dan James' face in his own goal and on his left foot, and Dan James then loses the ball. So Fred has completed a pass, but he has done nothing to help his teammate. It's almost the wrong pass selection. When Nemanja Matic is always thinking a step ahead, he's thinking, okay, if I'm playing this player the pass, what does he want to do with the ball? What's his next option? So he'll play it in, in, into him in a way where he can deal with the ball. Where I, just think that, I think the prime example was Eric Bay and Fred. Look, it was, oh, shocking. look, it was a complete accident. I'm not going to criticise either. Not criticise Bay for putting his hand out. Not criticise Fred for the pass. However, the option of Fred, take Bay out of the situation. What happens then? I'll tell you what happens. Fred is blooping the ball over De Gea's head into the, into, the, into the goal. And then you think, so take Bay out of it. And just think, imagine what the pass Fred would have been putting De Gea under. So technically, it would have been a completed pass. However, it puts De Gea under enormous pressure. So I just think a lot of things Fred did well almost looks better than what it is, and I don't want to use that as sort of too much of a criticism because he, he provides so much to the team, especially with his energy, and I thought he defended well. But, yeah, I don't want to make it a rant on Fred, but in terms of that Fred Matic sort of area of the pitch, just your sort of latest thoughts? No, totally agree. Um, I would have opted for Matic, particularly at the conclusion of the first half. Just considering how the midfield battle was going, I thought United were losing it, definitely coming out second best. And we, we mentioned it, Ndidi, Tillmans, that, that's quality midfield. Um, I would have loved to see Matic come on. I think, considering we were trying to play out from out the back, I could see, and we saw it toward the back end of last season, Matic would almost make it a back three. He'd come into that left-hand pocket, Maguire go central, Lindelof out wide, um, at least with the ball. And we found that we had a lot of success with that. So... I just thought, in the considering how we were losing that battle, it would have benefited United in terms of playing out from the back. But look, like you say, the game's done. That was the result chosen. I'm with you on Fred. I think he's not the smartest footballer in the pit. Between him and Shaw, just not not the, they don't think about the game, and that that's really frustrating. Well, we'll get on Shaw just in a little bit, but I think that's a good sort of comparison, Shaw and Fred. I think when we get in the three two ones, will be interesting because I don't think you'd have Shaw up there, but I thought he was quite good. But again, I almost put him in that bracket with Fred. So if he's playing an individual game, Fred and Shaw, they're almost brilliant. They're fantastic. But they're not thinking of what the needs of others are around them. So if Shaw's playing a pass, he's not thinking, okay, where does he want me to run? Shaw's just thinking, okay, what's my job? What do I have to do? And the same with Fred. I don't, don't want to use that too much as a criticism. They're far better footballers than me. So who am I to criticise them? But I just think when you have different options, when you have Tellez who's thinking of weight of pass, who's thinking, okay, if I put this much curl on it, he'll be able to run onto this. You know, Matic is thinking, okay, that player's right foot, it's on, make sure I pass on with his right foot. Or the defender's there, so I'll play it under this shoulder of him so he can play into that space. And I just think, 
Yeah, I think we have so many issues with our... We've got very good individuals, but I think a huge factor, we look at pace, we look at quality of delivery, we look at finishing, we look at tackling, we look at heading. I think something, whether our recruitment needs to look at this, we really need to start looking at more intelligent players, I think, across the board. No, 100% agree with you there, and I hope that that's part of the tactical thought process in Solskjaer and also part of his recruitment. Because, I mean, if you look at Tellez, completely different ashore. So I think, you know, we are taking steps in the right direction in that respect. Well, I think Tellez has done... I think the, there was a big sort of debate when Tellez was coming in in the transfer window. I think, oh, do we need a left back? And it was a bit of a hard one. It was when Tellez was coming in, you think, OK, he'll be good. But there was a 50-50 debate. Who's going to be the left back? Is it going to be Shaw or Tellez? There was no real clear answer. It wasn't if you're buying the best left back in the world. You're just buying a good one. But I think what it has done... It has spurred both on. There's a healthy competition there. And maybe that is something that obviously have been linked with a right back in, in regards to maybe sort of giving some competition to one Bissaka. But there will be obviously plenty of um, debate regarding the January transfer window. God, only in a few days' time, it'll be January. But um, just moving on, and someone whose name I think will pop up in the January transfer window. Interesting one. Um, let's go. I know you've been... Look, we've both been critical of him. I think you've been more critical of him than I. But... Um, no hiding from it. Daniel James was... He was a liability. Shite. He was a liability against Leicester. I thought he was... Yeah, in that category of... You know, it's almost on touch on every single player in this aspect. No no intelligence at all. He was just had blinkers on and just no vision around him. Just saying, I'll get the ball. I want to do this because this is my job. With no thinking of the game surrounding him. Yeah, I'm very unimpressed by Dan James, Tom. Um, Look, we've spoken about his quality countless times, so I I don't want to dwell on that. My frustration with him, particularly in this match, was he has no clue on when he should press and when he should stay back. We've seen it in countless games this season and even last season, more so. He he just doesn't know. I've seen it, and we saw it again yesterday. He left Lindelof for dead multiple times, particularly early on in the match. They were killing us down that left-hand side. And he just did not he didn't provide any sort of coverage at all. And considering like and that's what you're talking about, when you should think, I've got Lindelof who's not the quickest playing at right back. He needed to really just put his some work rate in and get back. He, he provided no support there and there's been times and I'm sure you've seen it last season, he, he just he never knows when to go, he doesn't know when to stay. And when you count all of that, taking into account all of that with his lack of quality Seriously, like I mean this in a really respectful way, but I don't think he's a major loss. And I, with the January transfer window coming up, I think that that's one player who could potentially be on the way out. Well, something no one's talking about. We've got this Ahmad Diallo or Ahmad Traore coming in. No one's talking about that, but that looks like his passport work, his paperwork has been completed. And this wasn't a... It was, look, you can put it in the same bracket as the Palestri signing, of course. However, this was a lot more money. This was 30, 40 million pounds, this kid. So surely there is an intent to come in and play. I think he will, but not straight away. Um, he's definitely talented from what I've seen of him. I've seen bits and drabs in the Champions League, and I've seen endless counts of YouTube. He looks fantastic. He's very quick. He's technical footballer, left-footed, a lot better than Dan James, um, definitely with the ball at least. But I, again, I think we're going to need to be patient on that one, and I think United should still be in the market for... A right winger because between Palestri and Traore, you're you're paying and hoping for potential there, irrespective of the price. Yeah, no, definitely. Now we'll move into the number nine position, and yes, Martial. God, he was look. 
It's almost the opposite because he is such an intelligent player. But I think today it was almost the opposite. His quality was letting him down. And just your thoughts on obviously, obviously a big fan. No hiding from that of Martial, but he seems that he got that goal the other week. We think, okay, that's going to kick him on, and then he had the performance, and then no goal, and then today it just. I th- it's not so much a thing against Martial. You just see the difference when it's Cavani. And I'm just your thoughts on his performance. Yeah. He just went missing. He didn't really do anything bad. I just don't recall him doing anything really at all throughout the match. He had one goal where he was offside and that was it. He just he needs to understand how does he get involved when the ball's not coming to him. I feel like he he's sort of caught in two minds. He he's obviously told by Solskjaer operate in the you know, between the two boxes, um, or between the lines, but then I feel like when he's got those instructions in his head and the ball's not coming to him. He just sort of sits up there frustrated. He then needs to, you know, and the best strikers, they know it. You need to come deep and go looking for the ball because then you can at least get a feel for the game. Martial's, I, th- I feel like, and I don't know if you've observed this, but I find that when the game or when he's not getting the ball, the game just passes him by. He needs to just get a little bit more involved. But like you say, um, if we can transition into Cavani with this point, Complete opposite and very different footballers. But Cavani comes on, gets on the ball. His first touch, back to goal, holding off two defenders, gets the ball back. And then obviously his excellent contribution into Bruno's goal. Very different footballers, but Cavani showing what a genuine number nine can do and why we're probably still in the market for that sort of player. What's your thoughts on the the use of Cavani by Solskjaer? Because I've had a discussion with a few people on Facebook and Twitter today I'm with the impression that Solskjaer is sort of managing Cavani quite well. I'm, I'm thinking, well, he hasn't had a pre-season. He's been injured for a little bit of his time at United. It's a new league. It's a faster league than he's ever played in. He's coming into the sort of the busiest sort of fixture pile-up that he'll, he'll ever experience in his life. And a lot of people are saying, oh, he's got to play every week. I'm thinking, hang on, he doesn't. But a lot of people sort of share a very different opinion to me. So your thoughts on the use of him? Now, my opinion is he walks into the team against Wolves and then the discussion will be put to bed because he'll be starting then. But the fact is, he has only started, my memory, um, one Premier League game this season, I think it was West Ham, but he didn't get injured at half-time. He's obviously taken off at half-time and sort of has been carrying on for a few weeks. So just your thoughts on Solskjaer's use of Cavani so far? No, I'm happy with it. Um, I'm sure Solskjaer... Look, Solskjaer's not an idiot, right? He's a striker. He knows the Premier League very well. I think he's just simply trying to get him up to a point where he can start him every week or start him most games. I don't. I just don't think he's there yet. Like you said, he is coming back from an injury, which I feel like people do forget. And by the way, did you know he's younger than Jamie Vardy? Yeah, that that yeah, was a yeah, that trivial question. Yeah, that, that's insane. But nonetheless, um, look, I'm sure in a month's time he will be our starting striker. But with the... I guess with the fixture compression, that you can't really ask someone of his age, like you say, with no preseason, to start every week. I've been happy with how he's been used. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Now, just going back, it just sort of sprung my mind there in terms of that tweet that came out in terms of the age with Jamie Vardy and Cavani. I think just that just eats into the narrative that we sort of get fed by the media. In terms of when Cavani came in, he was too old. He was over the hill. He was here for the money, and because you just read it, you read it, you read it, you're forced to believe it. Just natural. And I think that is another case where, unfortunately, on this week's podcast, we can't have our uh, weekly Arsenal segment and laugh at Arsenal. But I think we can very sort of conveniently shift that from Arsenal this week and go on to Chelsea. Frank Lampard, criticise, please. Surely someone can criticise this guy now. 
Oh, I could criticise him, surely. But I, mean, but I don't think he's in for too much criticism. I think he's doing a fine job. However, when you see Solskjaer, who's on the verge of going second in the league, who's on the verge of the sack every single misplaced pass, he should be sacked. I, I just don't understand it. I think we need to start putting some pressure on Lampard because you look at the money he spent with far better players, maybe a far better squad, depends how you view it, is achieving less results. I'm totally with you, but I think that's just the nature of the beast that's Manchester United. You know, look, you can support whoever you want. No one can debate Manchester United is the biggest club in England. And there will always be an interest in Manchester United. Uh, Even for Arteta, in the position he's been in, I feel like the commentary has barely been there. I mean, if you open most English newspapers and tabloids, there's not really a lot on there about Arteta and Arsenal's league position and their performances as of late. There's been split commentary. Some people still back him. Um, in, in Lampard's case, it's a tricky one, but we spoke about this before the season kicked off. We just felt it was too much too soon. Every acquisition, quality footballers, but six players in one transfer window, and all who are which are straight into the lineup, more or less. It's, it's a bit too much, I think. That's where Lampard's struggling. Um, obviously, I think Werner's obviously struggling as well, and that's causing a major problem because he's come in as the marquee number nine. But I think, look, these are good footballers. He'll come good. Kai Havertz will come good. It's just a matter of adjusting. You know, the German league is like England, but slower. Um, It's the most, in in my eyes, it's the closest league in Europe that resembles the Premier League, but not at such a frantic pace. Um, I think both footballers will come good. And when they do, they are a frightening prospect. But like you say, Tom, I just I don't think any of these managers deserve the level of criticism they get. Regardless of how much you spend, there needs to be an easing in period, particularly for players coming from overseas. Yeah, well, ideally next week we can return to our weekly Arsenal segment, but um, if not, I'm sure we can continue on the bashing of Chelsea because um, who doesn't like to bash on Chelsea? So we'll move on to 3 two ones, which will be very interesting. I'm not sure how this is going to go. Um, this will be interesting. We'll go man of the match. Three points. Because I would maybe opt for Luke Shaw. I know I've criticised him so much so far. But Are you serious? Name someone who played better. Exactly. Look, that, that's a fair point. Take, no, no, no. Take, take his... You can actually take what he can do or what he offers on the pitch. I actually thought Fred was one of our better players. I thought if you want to give Rashford, for as wasteful as he was, I thought Rashford was pretty good. If you want to look at contribution to the pitch, Bruno for three points would make plenty of sense. I, I think Bruno's definitely within a shout. And again, because look, I looked at some things. I was having a debate with someone before the game who was saying, he's got to be the captain, he's got to be the captain. And I saw just one, nah. I just saw one or two things. And I love Bruno's leadership. I, I think he's perfect. He, he, he's almost, he is kind of the captain on the field. Fully agree with that. But I just saw one or two times where he misplaced the most simple of passes, like embarrassing passes that he misplaced. And I just saw one or two yeah. players around him thinking, oh my God, what did you just do? And I'm thinking, if I'm playing next, which I've said this before, if I'm on the pitch and, Bru- and I misplace a pass and Bruno tells me to fix up, I'll say, hang on, you just misplaced your last 10. So you can shut up for a little bit. And I can just see a bit of tension there. I don't think he needs the armband. But just on your point in regards to the 3 2 1s, as. I wouldn't say as poor as Bruno was, but as sort of as inconsistent as he was in regards to keeping the ball. Here he is again, an assist. Like, okay, technically it was an assist, but at the end of the day, an assist. And it was a very important goal. Do you think he intended that, by the way? 
Oh, he didn't intend for it to go to Rashford. He intended to get something on it. Um, we'll just, we'll just fortunate, and that's that's a good player in a in an area of the pitch. No one he's got to do something. So it wasn't. He didn't mean to pass it to him, but he definitely meant to get something on it. And um, have the, you seen the commentary, the video yeah. that's since come out well, I think with that, Rashford? Uh, Did you see that assist and then Fred's uh, shit assist? Yeah, no. Well, I think that sums it up. I think that shows what Bruno was thinking. He was oh, we, we went to Rashford. That was good. But um, but as we go back to there, the, he gets the um, I would say all important goal because we don't go on to win the match. But it was almost a match winner, which we're then having a completely different discussion, and we're sort of forcing that narrative, which some of us all agree with, that Bruno's the best player in the world or the best midfielder in the world. Well, look, I mean, we can debate that. I don't think he's the best midfielder in the world. Um, but look, for what he brought on the pitch. I'm happy to give him the three points. I, I totally take, yes, he's frustrating. Yes, some of those passes. But if you look, again, an assist and a goal, he's, he put he, his numbers don't lie, Tom. And I'd hate to think where United be without Bruno Fernandes. I think they said 29 Premier League appearances and he's had 31 goal uh, contributions. It's insane. It really is. He's not, in my opinion, not the best midfielder in the world, but absolutely the most effective. And the stats... Are there to back us up? Um, but that is what I was for saying. me, Bruno for three points. No, well, I'll give Bruno the three points because I agree with everything you've said there. But that's what sort of I was discussing with you earlier in terms of okay, we both sit here and say he's not the best. Okay, Kevin De Bruyne is better than him. However, we both then agree that he's the most effective. Well, shouldn't doesn't that make him better if he's more effective? I mean, it depends what you define as better, right? I mean, yeah. if you're talking technical ability, Paul Pogba's better than Bruno Fernandes. Well, 100%. That's what I, I sit here and uh, the players I've played with, we've had this discussion. I sit here clear as day. A lot of people, I think I'm a better footballer than Phil Jones. I feel I have more technical ability to control if I'm to have a crossbar challenge. I feel I've got more chance of hitting the crossbar than Phil Jones. However, Phil Jones is 100,000 times more effective than me, which makes him 10 times the better player. And I think that is the yeah. case with um, De Bruyne and Bruno. Yeah, absolutely. If we were to use another comparison, Andreas Pereira mm. has more technical... He's a better footballer than Scott McTominay, yeah. technically. But in terms of what McTominay brings on the pitch versus what Andreas Pereira brings on the pitch, I'm taking McTominay every day of the week. Yeah. Perfect example of that. No, definitely. Now, okay, so Bruno for three points now. I know you're a bit shocked at my shout of Shaw, but I think... Look, for me, it would probably be a shout, and I've criticised Fred as well. I think for two points and one point, it'd be a split for me for Shaw and Fred. Yeah, um, well, look, I, I good, totally Cavani get. had a good impact, but I was, I was going to say that. I know it sounds far fetched. I almost want to give a point to Cavani because he comes onto the pitch and instantly he's in the lead up to a goal, and he's with his first touch. You just see his quality. He's a genuine number nine. I don't think it would be hard done by to give Cavani a one point. The reason I don't want to give Shaw any points, let me explain this point. In terms of what he does on the pitch, he does his job well. But if you actually look at the lead up to the first goal, if Shaw actually had that football awareness, which we have spoken about already, he'd actually push up and give Bruno an option. He's too busy sitting back because he's thinking, oh, I don't need to be there. Bruno will pass it to whoever. And then... That's the problem. And then, because it's actually... Sorry, let me go back a step. It's actually Maguire. If Maguire had Shaw as an option, I don't think he plays it into Bruno, who then tries to do a stupid nutmeg. Shaw's awareness is not there. He's good at defending because he doesn't get past the halfway line. His pass completion is fantastic because he doesn't dream of crossing the ball. 
they were, he had two weeks where he felt a little bit excited by Alex Tellez in training and decided to cross the ball and put on Martial's head. But other than that, Tom, he doesn't get past the halfway line. He he does a simple job, and that's why he looks better. But for what he brings as a fullback, I'm not impressed at all. And for that reason, I just I can't give him points. No, fair enough. So if anyone wants to get into a discussion with Larry, please forward all abuse to Larry's Twitter handle. But um, I think, okay, we'll go... Fred for two points, Cavani for one point. I think that that's the most sensible thing to do. Okay, so we'll go Bruno, Fred, and Cavani. Now we'll see what the listeners do, because I'm just looking at it here, and you are going to be shocked here, Larry. I am seeing a few Luke Shaws. So we'll go... Vin has gone three points for Shaw, two for Bruno, one for Cavani. Adam has gone for three for Shaw, two for Bruno, one for Fred. Um, James over in Perth has gone three Bruno, two Shaw, one Cavani. Just seen Ian there, member of our um, podcast on Pro Clubs, has written an essay, which I completely agree with, but a little bit too long to read. So if you are interested <laughs> in Ian thoughts, go onto our Facebook page. But um, yeah, interesting one there, the three two ones this week. But do um, you? Do, do, look, I'm happy for you to debate it with me. Like, do you understand where I'm coming from with Luke Shaw, or do do you think his performance warrants points? No, well, I sort of said my bit on Shaw, which I completely agree. I think he's good. However, when we find ourselves in a position where the games are so sort of tight, well, this is a 2-2 two, two, two draw, so an inch either way, we, we could be sort of top of the table, closing in on top of the table, and it's fantastic then. And I think when the margins are that fine, which Solskjaer has used that term quite often this season, when they're this fine, you need better than good sometimes. And I think Shaw doesn't often provide that. Like, and it's not a criticism because you look if we play Alex Tellers would definitely be a little bit weaker defensively. And God, the last thing we need to be is weaker defensively. So it's a balancing act. I think he's been fine at the moment. But to make that next step, whether that next step is a title challenge or that next step is a trophy or that next step is you know, winning the Premier League every year, unfortunately, I think we'll need better than Luke Shaw. But that doesn't mean we have to get rid of Luke Shaw now because well, we have to deal with the situation now. And I still don't think we're in a position to be challenging for those major honours. I don't think that's the job of Solskjaer. I think we sort of have to really sort of cement ourselves as a sort of quality team because look where we've been for the last five, six years. I still class out ourselves in terms of our performances. We're a Europa League club. We can't, obviously as fans, we can have these, we can put, put our chest out and say, I expect better. I expect us to win the league. Well, no, I expect us to be better than last year. That's what I expect. You can't expect to go from a Europa League team to Champions League winners. I think, unfortunately, which a lot of fans don't accept and that sort of don't agree with, but it is a progress. It is a process. You need to take your time. It's not going to happen overnight. Okay, everyone will point to Leicester City winning the league. It was a one-off. That sort of season isn't going to happen again. You need to slowly build it again. A lot of people look at Ferguson's early days. You look at Klopp's early days. It took Klopp a few years. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Solskjaer, but in order to see the end results... You do need to stick with these managers and give them a bit of time, and maybe that be the same with some of the players. But we'll go on to finish the podcast just now. Weirdly, it's our first game against Wolves this season. We usually play them about seven times by Christmas. But um, your thoughts going into the Wolves game this year? Because they're not quite the. They're still a very good team, but they're almost. They've always been overachieved in the last couple of years. You always look at the table and they're up there in fourth or fifth or sixth. Where now I think they're almost where you envisage Wolves. They're about mid table, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. Your thoughts on Wolves yeah. so far? They're they're tipsy turvy. Um, looking at their results now, so like Leicester's beaten them. They had a draw with Southampton. Uh, they they beat Arsenal, but everyone beats Arsenal except Manchester United apparently. 
Look, well, uh, you know, I'm just looking at their form the last few games. That their most recent match, they lost to Burnley, uh, and then prior to that, they did beat Chelsea. So, but then they lost Aston Villa. Their form's very up and down. They're they're an inconsistent team, and that reflects their position on the table. Look, I still think they have good players. They've definitely missed um, Jimenez um, with his horrible injury. So you have to say taking that into account. But look, that they're a side that when they do turn up, they've got enough players to punish you. Um, and I think, you know, Traore is a weird one. He, he hasn't really been playing heaps of football for them. He's, I've seen him on the bench a couple of times. Um, I think there's something he's negotiating his contract and not agreeing to an extension, etc. But... Look, it's a game that United can win and should win because we are at home um, and I think we're the ones with more to lose. Well, can and should. I think we go back to this point against is this a good point or is it two points dropped against Leicester? You say should win or could win. I think it's a have to win. Yeah, well, obviously every game is a must win for United but considering the sort of performance and the way we sort of threw the game away against Leicester in order to put a positive spin on that and turn that result into a positive is to win against Wolves. I think, again, it's not a disaster if we don't win the game. There's still half a season to go. But how tight and sort of how close it is at the top of the table, it almost is a must-win game. It is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it. That's the craziness of it. I think we actually, as fans, we do have an eye on the title. We're, we're hopeful, though as unlikely as it may be, there is that hope that we can at least challenge Liverpool challenge Manchester City I know they're struggling but their, their, their form's improving Where and that's all you want you know if we're talking about progress we finished third last season you want to see us be just make that step closer towards the top well, when that, I'm not expecting a title but but when that Bruno goal went in against Leicester last night it was when that went in it was only 10-15 you know, minutes ago I'm not saying it was a title winning type feeling but it had that feeling of a goal to, which that is a big goal if we can hang on to win that we're going to sort of maybe look back on that one as a, a huge moment and as you say, just to have that feeling, to have that hope, that's something we haven't had for a while. We never had that hope under Van Hal. I know he finished second under Mourinho, but I never felt we were in a title race. From day one, I know we won a few games 4-0, but City were by far better than... We are never going to beat City that season. But this mm. season, as, as unlikely as it is, we all sit here, we know it's probably not going to happen. Well, very likely not going to happen. There is a bit of hope. When that goal went in, we're thinking, jeez, okay, we're getting close to Liverpool and there is that hope, which... I don't think people can underestimate it. Yes, we do want more than hope. We want results. But we haven't had hope for the last seven, eight years. We're starting to get it back. Yeah, absolutely. And look, we've always said it. It's just about progress. And I think we are taking steps in the right direction. But like you've said, this is a must win. I think a a draw, even worst case, a loss against Wolves. It's one of those games where you just feel like it could almost set the tempo for the rest of the season. Um, considering we've been in a good patch of form, you, you don't want to see United go two games or without a win. I hope that we can just continue that good form we've been on, and I think we'll have enough for them. All right, just to finish off the podcast on the Wolves note, any whether it be a prediction or who do you think going to be the key man or a surprise selection, just one sort of final thought on the Wolves match? I think Pogba comes back in a midfield, and he reminds us all why he is a world-class player. Okay, so he comes in, scores two goals, then we, um, Mina Rayola says something, and then we'll drop him for Aston Villa early in the new year. Spot on. So um, the circus does continue at Old Trafford, but hopefully everyone enjoyed that podcast. We did wing it a little bit, but hopefully um, you got something out of it. Um, obviously, you are holding your phone now, so if you can, make sure you are subscribed on your podcast app, and if it does allow a review or a rating, please do. 
um, think of it as maybe just a nice little Christmas present for both of us. That would be very much appreciated. Make sure you're following us on all our social media, so Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We try and be as interactive as possible as we can on there. And um, until then, Larry, I will. Well, we definitely will chat before the year is out. We'll chat um, on the Wednesday morning is the Wolves map, so we'll have a chat on Wednesday night, hopefully discussing a win, which, God, if we win there, look, the whole mood changes, doesn't it? We finish the year on a high, and... You can only dream of what could potentially happen next season or next year. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're in it, um, and then yeah, hopefully we'll be chatting about a win. And dare I say, Tom, you know, tongue in cheek, maybe we can start talking about twenty one again. Like, of course, I'm being a little bit cheeky, but yeah, hopefully we're here discussing a win, and I'm sure we'll chat. And to our listeners out there, we'll see you again, obviously. But have an awesome new year. Bloody hell, it's been a tough year. So I hope everyone's been enjoying the break. Yep, definitely. Title 21 in 2021. So hopefully everyone enjoyed that and we'll chat to you in a couple of days. Cheers. Cheers.